Hey everybody, I'm back in the studio with Dan and we're here just trying to keep everybody safe again this week. Of course, being online isn't the most ideal type of setting, but we're so glad that we're able to do this and that you can join us. So if this is your first time here or even if you've been here before, welcome to Thrive Church. My name is David and I serve on the pastoral staff and our prayer like it is every single week that we gather together, I pray that you find something meaningful uh, today. Um, I'm wrapping up or starting to wrap up this series on personal finance, and my aim throughout this entire series has been to highlight uh, a couple of key ideas. And the first one is, is this. Given the you know, global economic situation, I see a significant slowdown. And what I mean by that is I think there's going to be a recession or a depression um, in the next two years or so. Uh, I'm, I wouldn't you know, bet on the actual, you know, date, but I think that in the next two years, things are going to, are going to happen, and it, it's going to be pretty significant. Um, I want everyone to take a hard look, I mean a really hard look, at their personal finances, and especially these three levers that we've been talking about. Um, income, expenses, and cash flow, and, um, and try to build some resilience into, into your, your, your personal finances. I, I mean, ultimately speaking, I want you to be prepared for what I think is, is, is probably imminent at this point. And, and secondly, um, to that end, the end of resilience, I really want you to include God as part of your thinking process. As you begin to think through your personal financial situation, you would seek him and and trust him and try to find his wisdom for for how to how to navigate all of this. There's this fascinating little narrative that we find in in the book of Genesis about Isaac, the the patriarch of the Jewish people, um, that supports this idea. Let me let me um, just kind of unpack this a little bit. So in Genesis chapter 26, we we read this. Now there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine in Abraham's time. So beginning of chapter six, very first verse, we read that Isaac is, uh, is in a place where there is famine. Now, what is famine? The, the classic definition is extreme food scarcity. Now there's a number of reasons why you could have, have famine. You could have insects, you could have war, but most likely, um, or the, the most common reason for it, uh, happens to be um, drought. So there's not en enough rain to, to make the plants grow, and so consequently you've got um, animals that are dying. And it's famine. There's just no food uh, in an area. So chapter 26, verse 1, there's extreme food scarcity. In ancient terms, that would be very similar to what we would call a recession or a depression. Um, it makes, makes life very, very difficult for people. And then if you skip down to verse 12, we read this. Isaac planted crops in that land and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. It's an extraordinary little comment. And if you're reading through that entire story, it's very easy to miss. But there's famine in the land. Isaac plants and he reaps not just a little bit, but a lot more than what he planted. He reaps a hundred hundredfold. Now, 
economic uh, conditions apply to me and to you, but they don't necessarily apply to God. God can do the things that he wants, wants to do. And so when you seek God, when you connect with him very intentionally, um, we get to know his heart. And um, we gain some insight, and very often we gain blessing too. So I want you to include God into your, your personal fan, finance uh, deliberations. When you start thinking about money and how you're... Uh, how you would attempt to navigate some difficult times. Yes, I want you to be resilient, and, and the best way to do that is to connect, connect with God. And so these are the, the two big ideas that I've been trying to drive at through this entire series. Now, um, today we're going to talk about um, the difference between income and expenses. We're going to deal with cash flow. And your cash flow is either going to be positive or it's going to be negative. So you get a certain amount of money that comes into your household. You're going to uh, spend it on things like utilities and mortgages and all those things that you need in order to live. And then you're going to have a balance. And either that balance is going to be a surplus or it's going to be in the negative, one, one or the other. Uh, I suppose that you could break even from month to month, but the vast majority of us have either a positive or negative cash cash flow. So if it is negative, um, I hate to tell you that you are not the United States federal government and you cannot deficit spend. At least you can't do it for very long anyway. Um, we'll often use credit cards in order to extend our income. The, the problem with that is that eventually you're going to hit that limit. <laughs> you're going to hit that limit and it's all going to catch up with you. And so you can't deficit spend um, for very, very long, and you have to be very careful. Um, it's not uncommon um, for, for uh, people to carry balances. In fact, um, I think it's a 2018 or 2019 statistic. There was something like $900 billion in credit card balances on average for the year. And the average interest rate uh, for that is 14.5%. So I started doing kind of, you know, some checking. And if, if half the people pay off their balances every single month and the other half are, are, are actually paying interest, it turns out to be something like 40 or $50 million a month in interest. This is why you receive all those credit card offers in the mail. It's simply because it's very profitable at 14.5% for a bank or a credit card issuer uh, to have plenty of cards out there with lots of balances. Not everyone's going to default on them, and so there's still this steady stream of income for that bank. So they keep offering the cards to us, and we keep signing up for them, don't we? $900 billion in, uh, in balances with an average interest rate of 14.5%. Look, if you're in a negative cash flow position, I highly recommend that you look into something, um, some type of a program. Dave Ramsey's got a great one called uh, Financial Peace University. Now, I'm going to be honest, I don't agree with everything that, that Dave um, counsels his people to do. However, his idea of the baby steps, I think there's seven of them, but there's baby steps that you're supposed to take in, in order to help you right your financial ship. They're excellent. And it's very good for people who are 
deficit spending. Those um, he he's got some reality discipline that he uh, he institutes through that program, and I think it's very helpful for people. So if that's you, um, Dave Ramsey's a great place to start. There are other ones too that just happens to be a very popular one, and he tries to do it from a, a Christian perspective. Now, if you're in a positive cash flow position, congratulations. That's, that's great. You have a surplus at the end of every month. Um, and you have essentially three options, uh, probably four, but I'm only going to deal with three of them today. You've got three options for your surplus. And this is where I want to spend some time because I think this is really important. Um, if you have uh, you know, double, in, uh, double income uh, uh, in your home and uh, you, you've got a little bit of, of extra at the end of every single month, um, here's, here's some possibilities. These are things that you can do with it. And the first one is the easiest, is you can spend it, of course. Uh, and and here's, here's something that uh, might be a surprise to you. I think you should spend some of it. I think you absolutely should do that. Um, I know people who have accumulated large amounts of, of money and they never enjoy it. And they're kind of a pain in the neck to be around because they don't enjoy at least a little bit of, of what they've acquired over, over a lifetime or over a period of time. And so there's nothing wrong with spending some of the surplus. There's nothing wrong with that. I remember uh, years ago when I worked for a bank, um, there was a, a gentleman who came into our branch uh, typically around the you know first, second, third of the month, and uh, he would come and he would make a withdrawal. He had you know kind of the automatic um, uh, deposit from from his um, uh, I don't know if it was investments or from his job. I don't recall what it was, but he always took this the same amount of money. It was a couple hundred dollars, and he called it his mad money. And I finally asked him, I'm like, what do you mean by mad? He goes, I can go mad with it. I don't have to keep track of it. I can just do whatever I want with it. And, and he, he enjoyed it. He enjoyed some of the money that he had. And he had set aside this particular amount every single month. And he, like clockwork, came in to get his mad money so that he could, he could spend it. So I think you should spend some of your surplus on things that you like to do. <clears throat> However, it's dangerous if that's the only thing that you do with your surplus. You've got to be careful about that. And that's why we we've, we talked last week when we were dealing with expenses um, to give every, uh, every dollar that you have a job. Give it something to do, an occupation. Uh, but include spending as part of that. So if you've got a spending plan, if you've created one of those, plan to spend a certain um, amount of that thing to eat, uh, things um, like eating out or grabbing coffee, or maybe you've got some hobbies that you want to spend some, some money on, that's fine. Just plan some of that as part of your spending. Otherwise, what you may do is you may enjoy the surplus, but you may not achieve certain long-term benefits from that surplus. So you have to be careful with it but I think you should spend some of your money on things that you enjoy. Otherwise, you know, life isn't about just working to pay your bills. Uh, if you're able to have a little bit of surplus, enjoy it. Which leads me to the second thing that you can do, is you can save it. <clears throat> it's a smart idea to set um, some of your surplus aside. Um, it might even be a smart idea to uh, set most of it aside uh, for the future. 
And there's a, there's a helpful proverb here that I want to talk about. Um, you, you may have seen this one before, but it's in Proverbs 6. <clears throat> and the, the writer, uh, very likely um, a man named Solomon, is a very wise king, uh, either wrote this or he collected it, but he put it into this book we call Proverbs in our Old Testament. And, uh, and here's what he says. Go to the ant, you sluggard, consider its ways and be wise. So he's writing to someone who's lazy. He's essentially trying to convince them to act differently. Which, by the way, if you ever get a chance, go to one of the, um, the Bible websites where you can search words and type in sluggard and look at all of the places in the Proverbs where that this term appears, sluggard. They're actually quite funny, and, and I would recommend it um, just for a quick laugh. Uh, very interesting um, how uh, Solomon or this wise individual uh, treats those people who might be uh, a little less motivated than the average person. And so he says, go to the ant, the, the little insect, you sluggard and consider its ways and be wise. Wisdom is the thing that we're after here. Verse seven, he goes on. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler. In, in other words, if you look at the way a colony of ants works, at least if you're an ancient individual, there doesn't seem to be any type of ruler. There's no foreman. There's no um, shop steward. There's nothing like that. There's no manager. There's no boss. They're just all doing their thing. And, and really what the observation here is that um, they just intuitively know that there are, are certain things that they're supposed to do in order for that colony, that family to survive. It says, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. It prepares for the time when there's no food. It actually sets aside certain amounts of food now for use later. This is a, this idea that's, that's happening here is that it's setting aside for the long term. And that, uh, what the author says, is wisdom. It's wise uh, to consider that and to do the same thing, to, to imitate that to a certain degree. Setting aside your surplus makes you resilient. So when things get rough, and eventually they will at some point get rough, you're able to be prepared for that. It's ancient wisdom. And interestingly enough, uh, as I was kind of um, studying this whole um, idea, the word storehouses come up very often. So obviously if you're an agrarian society and you're, you're planting crops and you have to store that food for later, this idea of storehouses is a big deal. You have to have them, you know, your barns or your granaries or uh, um, whatever we would call them today. But in, in the Old Testament, they're just called storehouses, places for, for these things to be set aside for later. And there's certain comments within the text where uh, if the storehouse is ruined or if the store, storehouse has been plundered, uh, the context is always, it's disastrous. It's like one of the worst things that can happen to you or your family or your tribe is if your storehouses are, are not intact, if you don't have a place to put for future. Why? Because it's wise to set... Um, part of your surplus aside for future use. So keep that in mind, that kind of ancient wisdom. And what we're talking about here, when, we, when we're dealing with savings, 
we're talking about safety. And I really want you to think about this and, and absorb this one because I think this is incredibly important. You do not want your savings to lose value or to decrease in any way. It's, it's savings. It's, you're setting it aside for, for future use. And so you have to have some type of safe vehicle, safe storehouse, as it were, in order to um, uh, make sure that you have that that wealth for later, your surplus for later. Now the challenge right now is to actually find a vehicle in which to save. Um, banks and brokerage, um, brokerage houses typically offer somewhere under 1% for savings account. If you're lucky, you can find 1%. Usually it's considerably lower than that. Um, that doesn't keep up with inflation, which is pegged at 2%. I think it's probably considerably higher than that right now. But bottom line is 1% is far less than, than the inflation rate. The cost of, of goods and services tend to go up from year to year uh, for the most part. Um, I don't know about you, but health insurance is one that comes to mind. That just keeps going up every single year. And so 1% savings isn't going to help you deal with some of those costs that may come later on. Um, and by the way, you probably ought to keep your savings out of banks and um, brokerage houses. Um, and there's a reason why I say that. Uh, I think there are some, some better places to store, store money. You don't want to necessarily be part of that system. And I'll explain why here in a moment. So let me, let me recommend a couple of ideas for you. <clears throat> if we're talking about long-term savings, I mean, these are things that you're, you're set, uh, setting aside for 10, 15, 20, 30 years, or maybe it's savings that you want to pass on to your kids at some point as a legacy, um, you might want to consider uh, gold and silver, uh, precious metals. Um, those are, are considered tier one bank assets. So banks choose precious metals to put some of their assets as a protection um, against things like inflation, like rising costs. It is a safe haven asset, uh, as it were. Uh, and they, um, for probably the last 15 or 20 years, um, they've mostly ignored gold and silver, but in recent year or two, they have started to accumulate. Specifically, governments are starting to accumulate gold. Uh, China, in particular, is uh, accumulating, acquiring and accumul accumulating massive amounts of gold and gold mining operations around the world. Russia is doing the same thing, as well as India. So we're beginning to see a lot of movement within precious metals um, around the world because there seems to be indicators that we're headed for an economic slowdown and wise businesses and governments are trying to prepare for that. So it may be wise for you to look into purchasing gold and silver as a potential asset. I'm not giving you any financial advice. I'm just saying this might be worth your while to, to look into. Um, secondly, uh, for long-term savings, you may want to look into a properly constructed high cash value whole life insurance policy. One, because it's not in a bank, it has a guaranteed return and there's a lot of benefits to it. Um, it's very safe because the uh, types of insurance companies that uh, produce these things um, have been doing it for a long time. Most of them have been around for 100 years 
or more. So you've, you've got um, um, some protections that way. Uh, they're not the only ones, but those are the two that come to mind as, as part of what I would call a long-term savings type of plan. You may have some others that you're aware of, but you're looking for a safe rate of return that's you know, halfway decent. But again, the watchword here is safety. You want to make sure that your savings are, are protected, that you've got a storehouse that's intact. And those are two possibilities. <clears throat> now, in the last 30 years, um, something has occurred that I find, I'm just going to say it, I think it's rather sinister. Um, <laughs> the marketing people for the Wall Street brokerage houses and banks um, have started using a particular phrase. And, and you've probably heard it, you've probably said it. Uh, they, they want you to save for retirement, um, which I understand. They, they think in terms of uh, eventually, uh, by law, you're, you're not able to work anymore for a corporation. You might be able to start your own business, but uh, we have decided as a society that, you know, after about age 72 or so, you, you probably need to not be working at, at a corporation. <clears throat> seems a little strange to me, but um, we have certain laws in place that govern retirement and 72, 72 and a half seems to be kind of that age. And so the brokerage houses and the banks have, have run marketing campaigns to help people save for retirement um, because most of us realize that Social Security is probably not enough to live on and that's true, at least in practice. Uh, you can talk to those people who have retired and those who try to rely on Social Security typically have to find some way to mm, either adjust their lifestyle or go back to work or, or find something to do in order to supplement their income. So you have to be very careful about that. But you've got this marketing plans save for retirement. But what's so interesting to me is that the retirement accounts that they peddle um, are, are typically geared towards stocks, bonds, mutual funds, uh, maybe uh, exchange-traded funds, we call EFTs. Those are the big four anyway. And <clears throat> for the most part, uh, people over the last 20 or so years have done very well with that because the American economy was cooking along and it was doing its thing and um, values rose and dividends were being issued. And so people who had retirement accounts for you know, a number of years did okay. And then in about 2007, 2008, when we had the Great Recession, do you remember that? Yeah, it wasn't that long ago. Um, retirement savings for many uh, retirees or people close to being retired were completely wiped out. Stock market dropped dramatically. Um, <clears throat> they no longer had enough assets uh, and uh, people lost their jobs and overall uh, the housing market then collapsed as well and so we had kind of this uh, domino effect throughout the economy. The, the, the term that they used is save for retirement. The problem was is that the types of accounts that they offer are not savings accounts 
Because remember, the watchword is safety. And all of this um, leads me to the third option that you can uh, that you have with your surplus, and the third, and that is to invest it. You can invest it, but you must understand there is a difference between saving and investing, and this is the part that it actually makes me quite angry when we when we see the Wall Street marketing types talk about saving for retirement, but are really peddling investment accounts. And it's very very different, and we must understand the. The, the difference. Please don't let the Wall Street people tell you otherwise. Savings and investing are not the same thing. They're very different. If safety underscores savings, then investing is all about risk and reward. You can see the opposites here. Savings is about safety and investing is about risk. Now, you're taking a certain amount of risk in order to get a reward, but that's not the same thing. So ultimately, um, thank you very much, Wall Street, but you are not saving for retirement. You are investing for retirement. And you've got to understand that there's some risk involved with that. You can make a lot or you can lose a lot. <clears throat> the American economy has been so good for such a long period of time that it felt like investing was savings. But like I said, there's some cracks that are beginning to show. And the uh, um, certain... Um, uh, policies by the Federal Reserve and, frankly, the United States government are, be are beginning to support that idea. And so we're seeing some of these cracks that are happening. Um, and of course, I also understand there are various levels of risk too. Not everything is 100% risky, but there are risks that are involved. Bottom line, if there's risk, then that's not savings. It, 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 it by definition, is, is something very, very different. And the ancient writers actually understood this. Um, going back to Solomon, and uh, one of the works uh, that he's credited with is called Ecclesiastes. And in the 11th chapter, he writes this, Ship your grain across the sea. After many days, you may receive a return. Um, grain is a commodity. Right, so you grow the grain, and if you have a surplus of grain, you can sell it. And if you were going to sell it, you would typically have to ship it somewhere else. So if, uh, if you um, are uh, in uh, a certain part of the country uh, of Israel, it would have to go somewhere else, whether you put it actually on a boat or if you shipped it you know, via wagon somewhere else, your current market probably could not support the surplus, and so you would take it somewhere else where you could earn a higher return, where the price was a little bit higher. So we're going to, uh, so he suggests ship it and, and you, you may get a return. But then look what happens in verse two. He says, in, invest in seven ventures, uh, in eight, you do not know what disaster may come upon the land. This is important because it's not just putting um, all of our hopes into one, uh, one venture like grain. But he's saying, uh, the author is saying, invest in seven or eight different um, ventures. Uh, this is called diversification, and it helps mitigate loss and disasters. I, this is an important thing. And you probably heard um, uh, investment advisors talk about a diversified portfolio. But here's the problem. 
<laughs> if your in retirement account has stocks, bonds, and mutual funds, and even EF, uh, ETFs, um, you are not diversified because you're really only investing in two asset classes, stocks and bonds. Mutual funds just gather them all together, typically speaking. Now, I recognize there are other funds out there, but the ones that are being marketed uh, the most heavily are typically stocks and bonds. And, and this makes sense for the brokerage house, may or may not make sense for you, the saver or the investor. And so you want to diversify your investments uh, across different asset classes. So if you have a surplus of money and you're hitting your savings goals, um, you may want to invest it in something. But my ad advice to you, my, my counsel for you, is to make sure that you're truly diversifying over things. I'll be honest. It's difficult to find a decent investment right now. They're all very overpriced. It's one of the places where we're seeing extreme inflation. If you followed the stock market um, just this, uh, this week, you might be aware of a company called GameStop. And there were some shenanigans that were going on with that, but the, the price went way up and then all of a sudden it dropped dramatically. And quite honestly, some of the behaviors that we're seeing uh, in the markets right now are very similar to what we saw prior to 1929 and the beginning of the Great Depression. The parallels are actually uncanny and you need to be prepared for all of that. So my um, overall aim for this in, is to help you build resilience. And I would suggest that you would take your surplus uh, and pay down some of your debt uh, if you can, especially your consumer debt like your credit cards because their interest rates are so high on them. Um, free yourself up from that if you can. Um, and then build your savings so that you have some to actually invest when an opportunity arise, arises. Uh, cash gives you options. If you have, if you have cash, um, when the markets uh, dip, and they will at some point, you may be able to take advantage of them. So have some savings ready to go. Um, try to figure out for you and your family, what's your safety net? Um, Dave Ramsey suggests you should have a $1,000 emergency fund. I think that's a great idea, but you get to a later baby step, one of the things he suggests is to have uh, a certain amount of, of your um, income set aside, like a couple of months worth. So try to determine that, and again, you need to have a spending plan in order for, your, for you to know what you actually need. But here, the ancient wisdom is so important, is to have that savings set aside, that safety net, so that you can go and buy something to invest in um, that will put money back into your, your household eventually. It's, it's a balancing act. Now, to be fair, um, there's a lot more that could be said about this. Uh, plenty of other opinions about these things. Um, but I want you to notice that I don't have a formula. I'm not offering you a step-by-step -step formula. There are other people who do that a whole lot better. I would much rather see you do something else entirely. And, and that's the second aim, though, that, that I have. 
is to invite God to be part of your, your financial thinking. Look, <clears throat> I want you to trust the one who loves you, who understands you, who made you, who put certain things into your heart and into your mind and, and can guide you and direct you far better than any financial advisor. Now, he may choose to speak through one of those, but ultimately speaking, ultimately speaking you need to, to seek him out. You, you need to go to the one who created you, the one who loves you, the one who will never leave you or forsake you and say, oh God, if this is true and we are headed for some rocky times, what would you have us do in order to be prepared? And then to listen, listen hard. You know, I, I don't know if you've recognized this, but over the last you know, year or so, virtually every bit of advice ultimately comes right back to that one idea to be in the presence of God, the one who, who created you, the one who loves you, the one who has only your best interest at heart, the one who wants to share his heart with you and to guide you and empower you to, to live a kingdom sort of life. So don't be afraid of potential economic challenges coming down the road, but rather have faith in the one um, who isn't surprised by any of it and who knows you and loves you and can guide you. Let's pray. God, thank you um, for ancient wisdom. We tend to think that everything is new and we think that everything is uh, either great and fantastic or it's horrible and disastrous. And the fact of the matter is that human beings have dealt with this throughout history. And there is a wisdom that you have put into your word and you've put it into our hearts if we listen to you. And so God, I pray for um, all who are watching, who um, love you, that as they choose to connect with you, you would speak to them very clearly. Please, God, protect us all from the coronavirus. Please protect us from the economic challenges ahead and allow us to be in a position to help those people around us. Thank you for loving us, giving us each other love. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen.